our next topic of discussion here is going to be about policing again in Columbus, Ohio. Again, something that we have said has been a hot topic of discussion for quite some time now. And uh, we've had this guy on before probably about 10 times now. And we've talked about this issue from top to bottom a number of times. But recently, Kyle Strickland, the senior legal analyst at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at The Ohio State University, took to the Columbus Dispatch on May 10th and wrote an opinion piece where he said, we must have the courage to admit that there is a disturbing pattern of police violence and anti-black racism here in Columbus. This is the state's capital. This is important to everyone to know what the things are surrounding this. So we go to the phone line and we bring in Kyle Strickland now. Kyle, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself, John? Good. I'm doing well today. And uh, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for wanting to have, again, this really tough discussion. I, I know that this piece was probably not easy for you to pen, um, as it is something that has continued to be a huge issue within Columbus and within um, so many different things. And I guess, you know, being a guest columnist and writing this, what kind of went into this? What did you try to say in this? And and why did you feel that now was the right time to write something like this, Kyle? Yeah, thanks for that, John. So, you know, we, we have a problem here in Columbus. And uh, it's also across the country around police violence with anti-black racism. Um, and we have to reckon with this history and with this present day uh, legacy. And uh, it is uncomfortable. And when you talk about these issues, uh, people... Uh, claim you're being divisive uh, for talking about these hard issues and speaking hard truths. Um, but we cannot ignore what's happening here. And it's much larger than any one individual. It's about the broader system. It's about the way in which we've approached these issues in the past. And we we need to reimagine fundamentally uh, what it means to keep our community safe. Uh, otherwise, uh, these instances of police violence will, will continue. And for, for me, you know, I am now an incoming, I'm now a member of the Columbus Civilian Review Board, their first uh, civilian review board in the city's history. Um, and I made a post, a Facebook post a few weeks ago, uh, and, and we, were, we talked about this, uh, talking about uh, the, the latest police killing of, of Micaiah Bryant, as well as talking about the Chauvin verdict. Um, and a lot of people uh, were upset. Uh, but a lot of people also appreciated uh, my statement because ultimately what I said is that um, too often uh, we are told the same narrative over and over again uh, that that about police violence, about black people in this country. And these narratives can be lethal. Uh, it does not have to be this way. And we have to change it. And so that's why I had the opportunity. Uh, the dispatch reached out if I wanted to further elaborate on my post, um, if I if I needed to clarify or anything. And I said, there's nothing that I need to clarify. What I need to talk about more clearly is that the focus should be on recognizing the humanity of people we don't often recognize, and those happen to be black lives often in this country. Yeah, you say in the piece, and I'm just reading it now as we're, we're sitting here and talking, Kyle, but I spoke to my community, and this is from the, the piece itself. You say, I spoke to my community, people who know the painful truth and systemic racism is at work in every institution we interact with including our policing system, too often we're told to wait for all the facts, all while narratives are spun that criminalize, dehumanize, and blame victims. And I think that's kind of the crux of what that Facebook post was that you made a couple weeks ago. And I think that 
that's kind of hard for people to think about that because most people are taught to always wait for the facts. Even within the news, we're always taught to wait for the facts. But when something like this happens, it, it, it becomes hard to separate those two, doesn't it? You're exactly right. And, and that's why it's the, the power of narrative, you know, of course, uh, we we will all wait for the facts and you have to wait for the facts. And as a trained attorney, I know how to consider facts and make recommendations from all of that. But we can't also ignore that sometimes the very same people who say, well, let's wait for all the facts are often doing that while these other narratives are being spun. And so it's important for us to say, uh, you know, sure, we can certainly wait for all the facts, but here are some things that we know we don't even need to wait for, which is that there already will be people that will jump to uh, dehumanize, to blame, to criminalize um, a, a victim, no matter uh, even if they had all the facts or not. And what I'm saying is about the power of narrative and why it's so important to challenge those assumptions, those stereotypes, those narratives. And what I said, my Facebook post happened also in the context of the Chauvin verdict. I mean, we all witnessed uh, the trial of Derek Chauvin talking about uh, George Floyd and the fact that there were so many people who tried to blame George Floyd uh, for his death. They were trying to blame everything but the knee on his neck for his death. And that is the types of stories we see over and over and over again, as if somehow uh, that, that death that happened was, was deserved. And we have to push back against that and fundamentally reckon with these issues. And we cannot just accept the status quo as is because it's lethal and it certainly denies the humanity of so many people. And it denies the opportunity for families to grieve uh, and to recognize the humanity of their loved ones. My guest this morning is Kyle Strickland, senior legal analyst at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at The Ohio State University. Kyle, I've been thinking about this question and, and wanting to ask you this for a while. And I guess it's kind of a tough question to ask because I want to have the discussion that we're having, but I also want it to be tasteful for law enforcement so that they want to have it too and they don't feel like they're constantly under attack. And I guess the question I would ask you is, how do we have that discussion? What needs to happen to make that possible so that we can all meet at the same table and say, hey, let's hash this out, let's work it out, and let's come to agreements? Yeah, we have to recognize the, the power dynamics uh, that are at play. Um, historically, especially when we're talking about these issues, you've had communities that have felt marginalized, that have felt uh, the victims of, of police violence, the victims of, of state violence more, more uh, broadly, uh, even beyond policing, which is why I talk about systemic racism. Uh, this is an issue uh, that is systemic. Um, this, again, is not an indictment on any one individual. This is about the larger uh, system. And people have to come with that, uh, that acknowledgement and understand that everybody has diverse perspectives and lived experiences that they'll come to the table with. And we're never always going to agree on these issues. Um, and we also know that there's nuance to all of these issues. Of course, when we are talking about anything like this, it can be divisive and uncomfortable and people kind of retreat to um, their own assumptions or observations about things. And it's really difficult to have these conversations. Um, you know, I think there are people who are willing to, to have these conversations. But at the end of the day, we also know that it's more than just conversations. It's also about policy change. It's also about reckoning with um, some basic things. So, for example, 
Uh, there are far too many people right now who will deny the existence of systemic racism, and they refuse to reckon with that, that issue. And if you can't even get there at, at a starting point, then we have a long way to go. So there's some learning that needs to happen, and there's some understanding as well, you know, there needs to be some calling in, right? You know, this isn't a critique on any one individual. Again, this is about broader issues, and we all have to work together uh, to address and, and take meaningful action to, to save lives. And I think that's where a lot of people look at this, as you said, and they and they kind of get lost with it. They kind of get lost with the idea of... They, they get lost with the idea of it being about systemic racism because people don't understand if they haven't experienced that they don't understand how that is possible and again i know that's kind of a crux of what you're saying is is how there is such a broad systemic racism that people see but how do you get people that haven't experienced that to at least understand it and have a broad view of what that is like for someone in the black community kyle so we we've seen over the last year um, just a fundamental transformation in the way we as a society reckon with some of these issues um, where there is this kind of emerging narrative and, and understanding that uh, there has been a long history of exclusion and oppression in this country. And uh, we have yet to, to truly address some of those broader issues, which has lead, le leads to all sorts of disparate outcomes and inequality we're seeing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and then obviously with all the protests uh, for racial justice that had happened over the last summer, what, what people need to realize is that, first of all, everybody's not going to be on the same page all the time about uh, these particular issues, especially um, when they've become so politicized, um, especially when uh, we're talking about some things that normally shouldn't be up for debate about this history and about talking about truth. And then you have people who are peddling lies uh, for their own gain. And one of the things that I think is a deeply misguided narrative and belief that people have is that the gains of people who have been struggling, the gains of those who are marginalized, and oftentimes in this country has been black people, has been communities of color because of a history of policies and practices. If somehow they uh, make progress and are more successful, there are those who are currently in power who see that as a threat to their own well-being. And so that, that hurts and that breaks up opportunities for cross-racial solidarity on these issues, talking about broader issues. And we didn't be clear, and, and Heather uh, McGee writes an incredible uh, a book about this and does incredible research around this, The Some of Us, which talks about how racism costs all of us. It costs all of us, regardless of your background, it hurts all of us. And we have to acknowledge that and, and do our part uh, to understand where people are coming from um, and understand that there's been a history of marginalization and that people might feel that they're not being heard, that their lives are not valued. And so even if you might disagree and think, of, you know, their perspectives are coming from a, a different place than you, those are still their perspectives. And we have to understand that and acknowledge that. And that's okay for all of us. Kyle Strickland, Senior Legal Analyst at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at The Ohio State University. I appreciate the time this morning, and uh, I know we'll do this again in the future and uh, continue the great work and, and be safe, all right? Always, John. Uh, looking forward to seeing you sometime soon. Take care.